Hello, and welcome back to The Growing Revolution. I'm Eric Olson with Smart Pot Fabric Planters, and this week our guest is Brandon Rust of Bokashi Earthworks. He's passionate about organic farming, especially for the cannabis industry. Uh, we've been working with him, especially on living soil raised beds for his customers in Oklahoma and beyond. So, Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Um, for anybody who's not familiar with uh, Bokashi Earthworks, you can check us out on Instagram uh, at Bokashi Earthworks and uh, Facebook as well. Nice, nice. Uh, so I uh, saw previously that you grew up as a punk rock kid in San Diego. And were you always interested in organic gardening and, or when did that really start for you? Well, I would have to say that, uh, when I was, when I was in high school, I did take a ag class, but it was just one of those electives where we knew we could kind of just screw around and not have to, uh, do much. Um, my, uh, my organic gardening actually didn't start until later. I had already been cultivating cannabis. I did, you know, hydroponics for 11 years and then I switched. Um, I switched to soil using soil and I think 2000 in 2011 or 2012. And then I was using soil and I was doing, still using fertigation salts uh, or, you know, um, I was still using things like, uh, I think the last line that I, that I used was, um, house and garden nutrients. And, uh, I did that for a couple of years before I fully switched over to organics. And that was in, I think in 2014. Was that in California or in Oklahoma? That was in San Diego. I didn't come out to Oklahoma until, uh, 2019. Okay. Nice. What brought you out to Oklahoma? Well, I actually did uh, a prison term back in California for manufacturing. Uh, I got, uh, I was making hash. Uh, I was making, uh, you know, BHO. And I didn't get caught actually doing anything. It was completely unrelated incident that a sheriff uh, showed up to my house. It was for something that happened with a neighbor, actually. Long story short, uh, I ended up with uh, uh, doing an 18-month prison term for uh, making hash. And let's see, I did my, I got, I think I got busted in like 2015, but I went on the run. I, I think I moved out to like Alpine and I had a grow out there and I was kind of living on the run for about 14 or 15 months. Then I went, uh, I did my, my prison term or whatever uh, in County jail. Cause it's really weird how things work, uh, in San Diego County, like, uh, California's actually all together. Uh, the prison systems were so full that they stopped housing nonviolent offenders. Uh, and so they, people essentially could just be released. And then what ended up happening was still the state picks or the counties pick it up in the, in the sheriff's agree to house long-term inmates in their jail facilities. So that's what they were doing. Um, but, uh, I got out 2000, November of 2018 and I went to work for a friend of mine. Uh, his family owned a flooring company and then I was doing that for a couple of months. And then my, uh, one of my old partners needed somebody to run one of, uh, the grows that he had going. So I started doing that again, and then I just kind of put myself out there on Instagram. I found out about that. This is probably early in 2019 I found out about that. And uh, I just started doing some education stuff because I'd been, you know, at that point had already been cultivating for like 18 years. And, uh, you know, I just did that, put myself on blast, uh, started going to some, you know, cannabis events and stuff. And I met some folks out in Oklahoma and eventually they had called me up because they needed some help and I signed a contract to work, uh, with that company. And I did that for a year and a half and I just started doing different stuff. I had my 
brought my company, Bokashi Earthworks, with me from California, but it was never incorporated. It was more of just kind of a hobby kind of deal. And then I got it all incorporated out here in Oklahoma when I moved out. And so uh, I've been doing that. I do consulting. I have another company called Earthworks uh, uh, Agriculture and it's uh, a consulting LLC. So I do, um, you know, agri- I just do, you know, field soils, potting soils, cannabis. I can do other crops. It doesn't really matter what it is. So I do yeah. the, the agronomy with a really strong focus on what I call biological crop steering, which is using certain types of microbes to elicit certain reactions in the plant while also helping with um, the out competition of, you know, negative pathogens and things like nice, that. Nice. Yeah. Soil. You work with nature and you, you'd almost, it's almost easier to grow your plants uh, rather than fighting it. Uh, how, how are you finding your customers then, or, or are they finding you? Well, you know, I have a pretty uh, decent following on social media. So on Instagram, my main, on my main account, rust.brandon, kind of just like you would see on the, on the bottom left of the screen right there. It's my IG profile and I have a good following there. So I do educational content and stuff. I haven't been doing too much right now. I haven't been doing a lot of advertising because we're working on uh, redoing all of our labeling. And so when we do that, we have to resubmit everything in the ag department. And so oh yeah, while we're in that process, we're, you know, we're not selling any of the products. So we're working on that. It should be completed here. We're just waiting for the uh, final approval on, you know, things like the microbe inoculants, the humate fertilizers, the surfactants. Uh, we have a bunch of soil amendments and stuff that are available. Yeah. Um, but we also sell soil, which is great too, because, you know, cut, like people that are your customers are potentially my, my customers as well, because we uh, operate in the same space. And, you know, one of the things that I specialize in is the soil building and it's based off of agronomic data so what we do is we've you know when we originally formulated all of the recipes i started with a base recipe and and i sent that off to the lab and what i'm looking to do is meet a certain target which is the baseline for uh, hemp cannabis and so you know i started with the baseline and i said oh hey this is you know i need a little bit more of this to meet the target i need a little bit more of this and so we'll add um, based off of, you know, the same data that I use for agronomy. Uh, if I know I need, you know, 10 PPM more of calcium, I might use something like willastonite or um, gypsum or maybe even bone meal, depending on the circumstance. And I know that like for gypsum, for instance, if I add one, uh, one cup, you know, per, per yard of, or a point, if I add 0.3 cups of gypsum per yard of soil, I know that it's going to increase one yard of soil, 10 calcium PPM. And so uh, I have those types of, you know, a key for every single nutrient. And so when I'm looking at the data, I can, I can just correlate it to the target, correlate it to what I need and then add to that baseline. So then when we do our blending, we come up with an exact recipe that's going to meet that target. So we have a consistent product that is able to be used, um, you know, for the cultivation side for, uh, I wouldn't say a water only soil because that's really, really hard to achieve, especially with organics. Um, and that's because some of these, uh, processes are really highly biological, biologically dependent. Uh, for instance, you know, the, uh, the ability for the phosphate anion, um, which is, uh, H2, uh, P2O5, it has to be liberated from parent appetite material in soil. It's highly biologically dependent uh, process because we're not dealing with any natural weathering or chemical weathering um, of these soils because typically we're indoor. Mm-hmm. Unless we're outdoor with them, then they, they you might get some rain and stuff that'll help with that. Uh, but mostly it's the microbial weathering or the microbial cycling 
uh, in the release of secondary metabolites from different types of microbes in soil that that's that uh, solubilize inorganic the inorganic phosphorus to to liberate the uh, phosphate anion that's uh, metabolically available to the plant and so um, you know having something like a microbial inoculant is is you know in the programs i run pretty vital and that's because that phosphorus well it doesn't need to be extremely high it needs to be consistently available uh, because it offers energy essentially yeah. the main process is for atp production adenine triphosphate which is the energy exchange currency for all the biological processes that it offers the plant energy and so when you're using like a microbial inoculant uh, like the Micro Plus, you know, that we have from Bokashi Earthworks. It's a consortium of different bacillus species. It's a purple non-sulfur bacteria, which is a photosynthetic. Uh, one of the modes of metabolism is photosynthesis. So it can utilize uh, carbon dioxide and uh, sunlight to create uh, more complex organic compounds like auxin, cytokinin, gibberellic acids, Thing, you know, phytohormones and things of that nature uh, yeah. and enzymes that help solubilize uh, different elements and make them more available. And then it also has a fermentive yeast. And so uh, when you do that, it helps with uh, aiding in microbial diversity in those soils. It really helps um, uh, outcompete, you know, the bad stuff that's in there, the pathogens, well, cycling yeah. nutrients and aiding in uh, the availability of a lot of the nutrients that are in the soil. Yeah. Yeah. Organic gardening without the microbials, um, you need, you need both a hundred percent. So you have a ton of organic chemistry knowledge, which I, I always struggled uh, with organic chem. Where did you gain your knowledge from? Uh, reading books. Nice. Just going um, to the library and checking out books. Yeah, so you know a lot of a lot of what I I do too is I have a lot of things like this which are science white papers and I read through these and a lot of times what would happen in the very beginning when I first started getting into this when I was pulling research papers and stuff they were very difficult for me to read and understand. A yeah, of, for most people of, they are. You have to go down. I went down a lot of rabbit holes to figure out what all of these things meant. Um it is the combination of me consistently reading books, science white papers, and then also, um, you know, we live in the day and age where a lot of the information can, is readily available online. And there are, there are online, you know, colleges that are essentially free, you know, they'll just have all of their information posted up there and you can go through and watch everything. Yeah. And so... You know, my weakest point is actually organic chemistry. In fact, I would love to, you know, sit in with an actual tutor and stuff like that because, well, I do watch videos and stuff that help. Um, I don't have any conventional educational background when it comes to organic chemistry, but I understand how a lot of these things work. And I, yeah. you know, some of the biggest takeaways is you know, these elements that regardless of how you're gardening, whether you're gardening organically or you're using synthetic fertilizers, um, you know, in here, there, there's a lot of misunderstanding because when we're talking about something like gypsum, which is used for organic cultivation, gypsum in, in itself is not organic. It is actually a salt, uh, but it's not salt as in what people would think of when they're thinking about salts because right, chemist... like readily available. Yeah. Well, it, it, it is available. It does have solubility to it, especially depending on the mesh size. So if you're getting something that's 200 mesh, it's going to have way greater solubility if you're going to get something that was granular. Sure. So the mesh size is going to contribute to the solubility of a lot of these, but it is a naturally occurring mineral. And what that is, it's, it's, it's calcium, which has a positively charged, uh, which is a positively charged molecule attached to sulfate, which is a negatively charged molecule. So when we're talking about chemistry, what a salt is, is something that is, um, 
you know, bonded to a positively charged element that's bonded to a negatively charged element. Now, whenever you introduce water, what happens is those things disassociate from each other. Uh, both of those elements, both sulfate and calcium, are beneficial to plants, and microbes also use those things, so it's not detrimental. I, th I think that there's a huge misconception when it comes to using, using salts versus synthetics and like what they actually are uh, from a chemistry standpoint. So I'll use things like, um, like uh, magnesium sulfate, which is Epsom salt, right? These things are all natural. Now yeah. there are other there are other products that are synthetically created, which the the detriment that you see there is the overuse or over application can acidify soil. Or when those things are are used by an agronomist, they'll address the nutrient aspect without addressing the carbon uh, aspect of the soil, which is the organic matter that's in the soil. So. Uh, organic is synonymous with carbon when we're talking yeah. about uh, chemistry. And so what happens is uh, you have soil that is acidified by over application um, of nutrients that also have really low use efficiency. So when you're using something like diammonium phosphate or monoammonium phosphate, those are synthetically created. They're salts, but they're two different things that are that the plant uses, right? It'll use ammonium and it'll use phosphate. However, because there's no because we're usually dealing with really low carbon in ag soils, what happens is uh, they have really low nutrient use efficiency. So if you have you know forty six percent phosphate um, in your your starter fertilizer you're only maybe going to get 10 to 15% of that is going to is going to stay in a usable form and then only 2% of that is actually 2 to 3% is actually come in contact with the surface of the of the root so you have a really really low what's called nutrient use efficiency and if you have a higher uh, organic matter content you know some of that carbon uh, will will help hold that into solution, hold it into the soil. But the, the issue is because you have so much of it that's not being used, a lot of it is washed out with rain. Uh, it, it ends up in our waterways. And so that's where we get the, the, uh, the detriment effect, uh, detrimental effects. You know, same thing with nitrogen. Nitrogen can wash out, you know, uh, nitrate is an anion, so is phosphate. So they don't really have any, they don't have much to bond to uh, as far as soil colloids or organic matter content. And so they, they, they're really easily leached. Now, that's not to say that organics don't have the same issue because they do. Because if someone over applies manures or composts, you can have the same issue. So that's why agronomists exist. So they can tell you, hey, you don't want to over apply this or you can use this in conjunction with this. Um, and so it's, man, it's really complicated because you have to look at everything really holistically. You're looking at organic matter. You're looking at things like the exchange capacity. You're looking at the overall you know, base saturation percentages. And then, you know, you're looking at, you know, what's actually falling into solution, you know? So there's a lot of factors when I'm looking at soils um, and then what I would be recommending as, as an additive, you know? And a yeah. lot of times, like if you have a soil that has, you know, uh, a decent amount of phosphorus, you don't need to add phosphorus. Even if your phosphorus solubility is low, what you need to do is you need to get the organic matter higher. You need to get a microbial inoculant to help, to, to help liberate that, and, you know, start mm -hmm. cycling that. So nice. So, um, I saw online that you're, uh, doing a composting with fungi education class. Are, are there any other classes that you're teaching and, you know, what do these cost and is it leading to more sales for Bokashi? Uh, yeah, it's a multiple part question. So one, the composting with fungi class we already did. Um, you can actually watch those uh, podcasts on my Patreon. 
It's a uh, Bokashi Earthworks. I think it's uh, five dollars a month. And what I what I do on the Patreon is I organize all my content. It's all organized on there. So um, there's inputs. There's things like water quality targets, leaf tissue targets. There's all the podcasts that I've done that have a ton and tons of information. So I I organize all of the educational content, and then I offer you know the educational courses that i do at bukashi earthworks here in oklahoma city and we're actually just uh, right down the street from you guys we're only a couple miles down the road on uh, 50th in santa fe and so we uh we usually do uh, classes here um we've been working on a bunch of back-end business stuff so we're not really offering any classes we will be starting again next month um but yeah all of those we put those on the patreon as well but we do things like nutrient dynamics, soil building, um, you know, Bokashi composting, how to manufacture, you know, solid state fermentation. I've done a lot of different things and we'll be doing more and more of those. And it does help. It's a good way to educate and then also, uh, in, uh, you know, educate people on the products, how to use these things. And um, we're going to be doing a lot more of that. It's it's a good uh, way to have a community a presence in the community as well you know we have a, a decent sized classroom right out here so we can fit you know 50 60 people if we if if we needed to um, and it just it gives a it gives people the opportunity really to learn about this stuff so that they can imp, uh, implement all of the practices and really what I want to see is I want to see people you know growing food at home I want to see people growing herbs because that's the path to independence self-sufficiency uh, and, and not relying on uh, others to meet your needs is really the the greatest path to independence and uh, but it's also the greatest path to having a healthier body. Because if you have all of the things that you need in soil, in your soil, all the all the nutrients, you know, when we're talking about fertilization, this happens on a cellular level. It's happening on a cellular level in the plant, and it's happening in our own bodies at a cellular level. And so when we have all the zinc and manganese and iron and calcium, and molybdenum and all that stuff that's in the soil at adequate amounts that translates to that getting into our food in adequate amounts and that's what's fueling our cells and keeping us healthy and so if we can create uh, if we can create food which we at home you're going to have a higher nutritional density which means you have more food in your food you have more nutrition in your food, which is going to mean more complex sugars, more amino acids, more carbohydrates, more minerals, more vitamins. All of those things equate to healthier people, which means healthier minds. Uh, it's just it goes full circle. If if we are collectively as a nation, as a people, as a community, however big of a scale we can go, if we can independently uh, cultivate for ourselves and our neighbors. I mean, it makes it would make a huge difference because I think I think a lot yeah. of people don't understand that most of the produce that we find, whether it's labeled organic or not, is still uh, harvested premature. And so it doesn't have all of the adequate vitamins and minerals that once used to. And the reason why is because most of these things are imported from other countries even. And so what they do is they'll they'll harvest them and then during transport, they'll ripen them with ethylene gas a lot of times. So that way you have this produce that looks really beautiful sitting on the shelves, but is uh, pretty lackluster when it comes to the actual nutritional profile. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, remember seeing like a decade ago that the U.S. Department of Agriculture has over a long time monitored the average nutritional value in the foods that we're eating. And I saw somewhere that the average apple has like one quarter of the iron content that maybe an apple in the fifties or sixties did. And so yeah, I, I would tell people the old saying, like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, now you got to eat four apples a day to eat, to get that same nutritional quality um, that you were getting, you know, decades ago. And yeah, I'm all about nutritional density. 
you are what you eat and your plants are what they eat. If they have, uh, you know, proper nutrition to do what they do, and then they're loaded with that uh, nutritional value and you consume it, you're better off as well. So I'm 100% on board with what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so can you tell me briefly about your Bokashi Earthworks product lineup and maybe highlight some of the more popular products that you're selling? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that, you know, uh, soil obviously is one of my biggest things. Uh, however, it's not really available um, unless you're like a commercial facility that's you that's the bulk of it because it's all most of it is you know bulk i'm selling bulk soil you know 25 or 100 yards or however much um uh, and and i would love to be able to get that um at, you know distributed everywhere so what we're currently working on right now i was down in uh i was down with my partner down in texas um at the composting facility um last saturday and we are looking at ways that we can build a, a soil that is maybe like a light blend because our current blend is pretty heavy and it's, it's 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 you know expensive and while we are less expensive than most of our competitors that would have something that's similar we blow all of their targets if we were to do side-by-sides on saturated paste testing and all that stuff. I My targets are specific that I'm trying to meet for cannabis for this specific blend. Now, that being said, it, it's expensive, right? So when it starts, when you start to do the shipping, bagging, shipping, and then try to sell it uh, to make a profit, you know, at for and be able to have the retail retail locations also make profit it, it logistically it's really difficult and so yeah. one of the things we're working on is a, you know how can we reduce cost you know what can we do to make a commercial blend that is going to work uh, as well as the commercial blend but be able to reduce that cost and so we're looking into you know several different ways that we can do that like one of the ways that we are thinking was i like to use in my commercial blend using pumice it's a volcanic rock dust and i use that as a aeration mm -hmm. now i don't i don't use pumice in that mix because pumice is a lot lighter and it can float to the surface however pumice is is far more expensive than perlite i mean i don't like to use perlite right perlite can float to the top of the soil and stuff so however the thing is perlite is far less expensive so if i were to switch that out i could decrease the crop the, the cost because of uh, ideally i want to make this cost affordable for the consumer you know right um and so uh you know that's one of the things that we're working on right now um and then the, the products that actually are kind of like the bread and butter of bokashi earthworks is going to be the micro plus which is um we, we manufacture this here in Oklahoma City at our location, and it is a consortium of several different species of bacillus, has a purple non-sulfur bacteria and a fermentative fungi. Now, I've done ex, uh, extensive testing with another agronomist, and we're able to see the data of what happens. And so you really see uh, phosphorus solubilization. You'll see higher phosphate levels in your um, saturated paste tests or you, what it falls into solution uh, in a higher availability when you're using this micro plus. So I use it personally every other week as an inoculant in my soils for my plants. Uh, another, what's the, the application rate on that? It's 30 milliliters per gallon. Okay. It's not, so it's not too much. And it's the same, uh, same thing with the humates. The humates are another one. So humates are, it's uh, it's a little bit different uh you know if the humates were developed as a bridge to change the way that conventional agriculture is done because what what i had mentioned earlier about agronomists not addressing organic matter or the carbon content of soils but they do address the nutrition typically npk mm -hmm. now um 
my mentor, my mentor, Dr. George, he, he worked on the Apollo space project. He was a engineer and he has, you know, multiple PhDs and he ended up going into agriculture after he left NASA and he developed a product. So this is a manufactured product, but what it's manufactured from is lignite, which is just a, it's kind of like coal, it's just a, it's a carbon based rock mineral. Right. And what this lignite used to be millions of years ago was organic matter. It was trees and all this other stuff that got compact and under time and pressure. And so what they do is they they micronize this um, lignite to down to 200 mesh. So it's a very, very fine. Uh, and then they add an organic catalyst, which essentially is a. It's a. It's a. It's a nitrogen-based organic element that increases the pH when they add it to that. And what happens is it causes an uh, uh, exothermic reaction. And so they, they control this reaction inside of these, uh, these vats. And what happens is it allows all of the the carboxylic acid which is the pure humate and fulvate to react everything they separate out at higher phs right so you'll have your your humate and your fulvate and then you'll have you'll have your humic acid your fulvic acid and then you'll have what's called uh humate which is just like all the leftover stuff and so the leftover stuff kind of falls out of that solution and then they take all that solution and what's happened is all of the things like the iron the calcium the magnesium the nitrogen, all of that, because of that reaction that happens, it, I, all the, the fulvic and humic acids chelate all of those elements. And so what's left is your, and then you can also add, uh, you can add in other elements to it. So if you wanted to increase your potassium or your phosphorus or iron, you could add in like iron sulfate, or you could add in the pure form of uh, phosphorus, which is phosphoric acid, right? And what it does is it chelates it with carbon. And so it turns that, it turns those inorganic compounds that are used in uh, conventional fertilizers, but they turn them into an organic compound during this process. And so everything's carbon chelated now. And so what happens is all of the elements that are in there are now uh, 100% bioavailable, both to the plants and to the biology in the soil because when you're adding things in that is uh that is attached to carbon the biology will access the carbon and they'll access the nutrients and so it has a higher nutrient use efficiency than than a conventional fertilizers without any of the negative impacts because it's it's a carbon based i mean you still don't want to just dump stuff on your field, just like you wouldn't want to dump manures or composts without knowing how much you need. Uh, but the idea is that you get to use far less of this and, and because you have such a higher use efficiency and it contains everything in a homogenous form. So the humate fertilizer has all your NPK, all your micronutrients and secondary nutrients in a homogenous liquid that can just be applied either as a foiler application or soil drench. And so the idea for this was to be able to bioremediate while cultivating on land, because most people that uh, like really talk shit about big ag, which I do on occasion as well, they have some pretty unethical practices, but they also don't understand that there's a lot of benefits, right? Like starvation rate in the world has decreased. Without the way that we farm now, billions of people across the world would starve. Now yeah. it off, but now so there's but there's also a problem with the way that we're farming is we're acidifying soil, and as soon as we get under a certain point, uh, under a certain point of organic matter uh, or soil uh, organic content, soil carbon, these systems start to break down where they're they're essentially dead, right? And and so. To be able to address this, Dr. George was like, look, we can use the carbon and every time we're fertilizing, we're adding carbon into the soil. 
And so the idea was to be able to bioremediate that soil and increase the carbon levels while bringing in the, the nutrition that the plants would need. So he, so he developed this formulation for conventional ag as a replacement to conventional fertilizers. So that way we could be looking at this from its biostimulating properties because it stimulates microbial diversity and enhances the, the populations because you're bringing in carbon. You're also addressing the soil nutrition by bringing in things like nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, calcium, magnesium, et cetera, et cetera. And then we're also addressing the fact that we're no longer acidifying and taking away soil carbon, but we're actually adding it in every time we apply. And so this is one of the things that um, will be huge, uh, not just in cannabis, but agriculture across the board. Yeah. It's used for everything, turf grass, corn, um, and originally in the 1980s, Dr. George brought it down to South America. He had a plant up and operating down there. The government of Brazil ended up buying out his his thing, and then he uh, went down. He went out to China. He built some factories out there. He did the same thing in Mexico. We're hoping to build one out here in Oklahoma, uh, and so we have this this product. We're just finishing the, the last of our labeling. We're just waiting for the approval. Um, and then we're going to be back online selling this. And it is one of the, the products that I think is, uh, our, you know, it's one of the, the biggest, our biggest sellers. And I think it's just because of what it is, you know, and what it has the ability to do. And then also um, one of the things that we're working on is making, you know, we have a compost compostable cup it's made out of uh compost manure and that compost manure can actually be you know it can soak up the humate fertilizer and so we can infuse that that biodegradable cup with the fertilizer uh and the idea is to do that and then use that for like nurseries who do you know things like tomatoes and peppers and flowers so instead of having a single use plastic which you, you know, pull your thing out, disturb the roots, put, and then you have to transplant your plant when you get home. You can just take that whole cup, plant it, and it's going to have the fertilizer. It's going to have everything it needs right at the root zone. Yeah. Yeah. I saw those, uh, some prototypes you had of those cups and I was, I texted a buddy of mine. I was like, check this out. Like, you know, it's a cool, innovative, uh, product, um, looks, uh, like it'll be a hit. Um, yeah, I'm going to probably, um, be looking for business investors and stuff when we're ready to uh to order the machinery and stuff like that because what we are essentially going to be doing is creating an assembly line where the humate fertilizer is evenly distributed it's sprayed onto the the cup um in the in the hope is that countries like dubai and um nigeria and places that have really poor soils they can utilize these things and start building up organic matter and have something that they can grow crops with, you know, less water and, uh, you know, without having to do much as far as the fertigation goes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you kind of talked about the microbe uh, plus and, and the cups there. Um, do you have any like underrated products that you know maybe isn't like a huge seller but you know in your opinion might be kind of like a secret weapon that a lot of growers could be using i have a couple actually so the kiaha um there's also a blend that we're going to be carrying which is uh kiaha and yucca nice uh, a blend and it's cold pressed and so with the cold pressed as uh, there are dehydrated versions of this but when you have the cold press, what happens is you're not losing any of the bioactive compounds through dehydration. Right. So you still get things like uh, the endo three acetic acid. You still get the the that which is you know different sorts of auxins. You get the cytokine and the gibberellic acid. So you get the the phytohormones. It also has things like calcium oxalate, um, and it also has things like amino acids in it. And so you're getting all the carbon compounds and all of the stuff along with the, you know, 108 plus different saponins. Um, another product is Calcil. 
which is it goes under the trait it, it goes under the the name uh willastonite it's actually a mineral uh it's calcium silica uh, i just call it calcil and it is uh it's it's very fine and so while it doesn't have the greatest solubility uh, it does have some solubility um, and it is the least expensive way to get silica into your system and i know that there are people who pay a ton of money for things like power Sci or for these other silica products right and this is a natural uh, this is a natural mineral and it will supply you with calcium and silica so it's super super fantastic for veg for getting all that calcium early on and for the transition phase um, and then Axil 16 is another product I, I like to use. It is uh, essentially it's potassium uh, mixed with sand and then they heat it uh, and you, you essentially get uh, available potassium and available silica. Those are two great products that I highly, highly recommend everybody nice. have in their arsenal. Nice. Uh, so getting into, uh, you know, back into living soil, um, you've been selling a lot of custom smart pot raised beds, uh, to your customers. Yeah. Are you in favor of, uh, soil growing in, in traditional like round containers or pots, uh, why or why not? And what do you think would be the biggest advantage of doing living soil in a bed versus individual containers? Yeah. So I work with different, um, farms who have different methods i prefer if you're going to be doing commercial cultivation that you run beds um you know i have at home you know my personal garden i just have pots because i move things around and stuff like that and it's just a really small grow anyway um but there are some advantages to beds and the the main advantage to having a bed is you keep nutritional sufficiency and balance longer and that's the biggest thing so if you have a small pot let's say like a three gallon pot like i have at home in my little tents i have to i have to top dress more often i have to water a little more frequently because they dry out faster i have to fertilize a little more frequently which means i'm using a lot more and when you start scaling things out you want to do less you know because the cost greatly increases so if i were growing in a bed like you know most like i will be we're you know uh, i have a new facility that's coming online we're just getting everything in order most of the people i work with are growing in beds and the reason why they grow in beds is because those beds will hold nutrients longer because there's a, a larger volume. There's also what happens is when you're thinking about, at least when I'm thinking about how a lot of these nutrients are um, taken up by the plant. So mass flow and diffusion. So diffusion is when you have a higher concentration gradient of something. It always travels to a lower concentration gradient. Uh, to try to create equilibrium. Right. And so when you have uh, a larger volume of soil, you're going to be able to diffuse a lot more of those nutrients across that, that soil to get a little more e even distribution. So that's one of the benefits. Um, also, you have these, uh, uh, you know, larger volumes of soil where the roots can spread out further, right? The plants roots are all going to be intermingling intercommunicating you know and they have a larger space for the mining aspect of mm -hmm. uh, how plants take things up so root inception is really important for um, things like copper root inception is also really uh, important for an aspect of calcium although most of it uh, is taken up through mass flow root inception uh, is you know cal it, the the root hairs and the root tips 
they need calcium. And so being able to intercept calcium is really important. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of different aspects to the beds too. You know, you can put um, your, your critters in there, like your earthworms, you can put in your, your 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 beneficial mites like your, your californicus uh, you can put in things like rove beetles and they're gonna last longer um, it also helps with i see that the that material breaks down a little bit faster in beds as well um, so we're usually mulching things into the system and if you've got all your your earthworms in beds it's it's harder to maintain uh colonies of earthworms in pots it's a lot it's a lot easier to do it in larger volumes and so you're going to get a breakdown of the material that you put in and that's really helpful because what happens is in these beds when you have that nutrient cycling going on after a couple of runs you've put all your leaf material and all the stuff that you've pruned off back in there you start using less mineral amendments as a top dress because the first couple of rounds like i'll look at it you know, you get the soil, it's good to go. You can do a, a round, which just a fertigation program with the microbes doing some uh, humates here and there. But, you know, you always test after your first run. That way you can make any adjustments to the soil. Oh, I need to, you know, re-add nitrogen. We need to get the calcium levels back up. We need to add any micronutrients that we need to do. And, you know, what, what happens is for the first couple of rounds in a bed, you know, after you harvest, you'll be, oh, we need to do this. You see lot, a lot less amending. So you're going to use a lot less micronutrients. You're going to need a lot less calcium. You're going to just a lot less of everything overall once those beds have a little bit of time on them. And it's because, and this is only if, this only happens if you're putting your material back into that bed. If you're pulling out your root ball and you're keeping your, your soil bare without putting any of your leaf back in there, this doesn't happen. This only happens if you're cycling the majority of the biomass that that's being produced out of that bed. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the benefits in, in the smaller pots. Well, you can mulch uh, a lot of your material back into that bed. Like the amount of biomass that I'm producing in a three gallon pot, it's like overwhelming to put back into it that small space, you know, so right. I'm cutting it all up really fine and, um, you know, putting it back in there, but it's, it, it, it can get to be a lot. And so, um, it doesn't work as well in small pots. It's just the whole, the whole process doesn't work as well. And I think one of the reasons is also because if I'm a, if I'm growing in a three gallon pot, I don't want to be growing a three foot plant you know, I can't grow three foot. It's just, there's, it's to try to keep the nutritional sufficiency, especially with the nitrogen and phosphorus requirement. It's gonna be really difficult. You know, it's gonna be way more difficult than in a bed. Nice. But you totally guys make it easy sense. because, you know, I'll just, if somebody needs something, uh, you know, I, I tell you guys what I need and we get it done. Yeah. Nice. So uh, kind of getting into something new that, that we've been doing, uh, we've been seeing an increasing number of growers who want uh, a bottomless smart pot for their uh, operations where they're using uh, especially raised beds. How are growers utilizing these and do you have any tips for best results? Yeah, so what we're going to be doing is, <clears throat> you know, it's basically just a sleeve. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to find a, uh, a flat piece of plastic that kind of, that we can bend so that way we, we can keep that thing open while we fill it. It'll be on a, a little water catch tray. And then it's, the idea is for the plants to establish its root system and veg in there. Right. And then the idea is to just take that bottomless pot, put it directly on the bed. That way it eliminates the, the time and cost associated with the labor that goes into transplanting beds. So when we're talking about a commercial uh, setting and where maybe a room has five or 600 plants, it could take a really long time for a couple of employees to transplant that. I mean, it could take a really long time. So just for them to be able to just load up all of these, these fabric, you know, sleeves that are that don't have a bottom on there and just set it on top of the bed and then hook the drip line on there. 
golden. You know, it just makes things much more simple for the operators and it decreased costs. And so the whole point of what I'm doing with the soils, the beds, the fertigation programs, all the SOPs that I've developed, the whole purpose of that is to create a, the highest quality and highest production values that you can in these organic systems while increasing the profitability because the, the overhead is way, way less because, you know, I work with uh, like FOS, you know, so if we're using LED lighting, right? You're decreasing. A lot of people are still using HID lighting and that's very, very, inex it, it's very expensive. And so that's a huge part of the overhead and the production cost, right? People who are doing cocoa, uh, I went to a big farm in New Mexico and they, you know, fill up, you know, two or three gallon pots with cocoa. And then at the end of the thing, they cut their plant, they toss that cocoa out. They have a whole crew come in, pull all the lines out, toss the cocoa, wash all the pots, fill it back up, place it on there. Thousands and thousands of these things. Now, that's a massive amount of labor. It's a massive amount of waste. Now, a farm like that, they can go in there, they can put in beds, put in soil, they do agronomically, uh, they can do data-driven agronomic cultivation style where they do their fertigation plan and they go and test the soil every run. Okay, we need to add this, this, and this to bring that soil back up to nutritional sufficiency, make sure all the nutrients are balanced, and then we can continue to run that whole program. Now, what that does is it eliminates a lot of the cost of labor, transplant the cost of excess material and having to continually buy something that you're going to throw out and then also using these you know fertigating every single day with a nutrient solution that has a really low use efficiency and then switching over to like a nutrient that you use maybe four times five times through an entire plant cycle veg to flower right so the, the cost savings is huge when you switch over to this these types of organic systems and you're not losing out on quality you're actually increasing the quality in most cases because people are not taking in the organic carbon uh component that that happens in the root zone where you're getting different metabolites that are being produced by bacteria that are increasing the genetic expressions of these plants so you have greater terpene profiles you have more unique terpene profiles you're getting a greater combination of cannabinoids not just let's say super high thc well you still can get those good numbers you'll get a broader spectrum of cannabinoids and so when we're looking at the quality I mean, you just can't, you can't beat it. You can't beat the quality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, quality, you know, is one thing, but yeah, like you mentioned, operators have to be profitable and, and labor costs is probably one of the biggest, you know, ongoing expenses that growers face. So if we can make mm -hmm. things uh, easier for them, uh, all the better in, in the long run. So uh, I saw recently, um, you know, kind of big Oklahoma news was that they voted down recreational cannabis. And a lot of people that I talked to thought, OK, it's a slam dunk. It's going to happen. No. Um, were you for or against recreational cannabis? And why do you think it failed? And what do you think it means for the Oklahoma cannabis industry? OK, so just to be clear, I am. I am for adult use. Uh, I'm not going to call it recreational because we're not out here motorcycling around on our ATVs and stuff. We're not uh, out here playing tennis or it's, this is, a, we'll call it what it is, adult use one. And I was not for this bill. I am for adult use, but I am not for the bill. And that's why it failed. It was because that bill was, was written by one of the gentlemen who is associated with metric and some lobby groups. And I am never going to be on the side of any bill that is going to raise taxes or, uh, or enforce more regulation on American farmers. Because when it comes down to it, whether or not you're just an adult who wants to casually use something or whether you're using it for medicine, it's becoming more and more of a agricultural commodity 
And the only the, the perception of the value that comes and is associated with cannabis is based off of prohibition and the legality over, you know, the lot, you know, almost a century of, uh, of, uh, you know, propaganda and, you know, it being illegal. And it's really, um, an agricultural commodity. One of the things that, that, that keeps the price where it's at is because it's so highly overregulated and those things will kind of like, if you just let the market do its thing and let things, you know, good players will continue to do good. People who grow good quality, who have good practices, who are involved in the community, those people will be successful. The bad players who are hemorrhaging money that don't really give a shit that underpay their employees and they're, it's just an investment. Those people will, will usually fall out. Um, I view this as an agricultural commodity, and I don't think that there needs to be overtax and overregulation simply because of a viewpoint that is inaccurate. You know, this people will always say and revert to safety. Oh, well, we have to make sure it's safe, safety, safety, safety. And that is really just a key word for we want to regulate you. We want to tax you. We want a piece of the pie. Yeah, You know, because when it comes down to it, nobody really cares about safety. I mean, we do as farmers, we care like the people who do care, but it's not the legislature. It's not the legislative body. I mean, they, they'll, they'll say that it's because they want something to pass or because they want to implement something. Um, uh, us as farmers, we want to, we we're the people that, you know, want to see it, but we don't also you know, if it was about safety, they would test coffee for mold. You know, if it was about safety, they would be testing, you know, all of our food for pesticides and all that other stuff. But they don't. It's not about safety. It's about regulation because regulation without regulation, it, it really just is an agricultural commodity. And that's what brings the price of the product up is, is the regulation and the tax and all that other stuff. And so, you know. I'm going to always oppose any bills that tries to overregulate or increase taxes. I want to see a bill that is written into the state's constitution that protects the medical program, the medical side, protects the patients. It gives people, protects their, their, uh, their constitutional rights. It protects, protects. I want to see a bill that's going to protect uh, mothers who have children that are using this as medicine for things like seizures or autism or whatever it might be. You know, I want to, I don't want to see things like other people have the ability to tell others what they should and shouldn't be doing with their children or what they should and shouldn't be doing at, in the privacy of their own home or, you know, regulating what I can grow. And, you know, I just don't like that. I'm a less government is good government kind of guy. And so, um, you know, when it comes down to it, dude, cannabis, the people that cultivate cannabis, they're farmers. And if you look at the American farmer, they're like some of the most destitute people. They provide the greatest service to the nation as far as economic, uh, feeding us. Uh, and a lot of them are, you know, risk everything every single year. They mortgage their land. They mortgage their property just to get the equipment and the fertilizers and the seed they need to last one more year. You know, and it's like, I don't want to have that be the norm for people who are cultivating cannabis. You know, I want to be able to see people create these, these vibrant and profitable farm to table business models, these vertically integrated models and not have all the standards and regulations and make them jump through hoops. It's hard enough to rate, to, to operate uh, a business, a regular business, like for Bokashi Earthworks, man, we've, we have been growing every year over the past three years since we've been in business, but it's been, it's been a lesson because accounting, tax, payroll, um, all the reporting, labeling, all, there's so much compliance that already goes with just operating a regular business on top of all the things that are put on, on the plates of cannabis farmers or hemp farmers. It just, it's, it's regulation to the, to death, you know, because every time, like I know a lot of people that have gone out of businesses. Yeah. We've had a lot of people come and go in this industry and it's because 
of the the high tax, high regulation. It's like you implement one more thing that can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, yep. it's like metric did that when they implemented metric. There was no customer service. They want to bring on, you know, 15,000 businesses and, and metric didn't increase their customer service by one person. You know, they had, it was a complete shit show. It put people out of business because they had to, you know, they had product that was stuck that they couldn't sell. It, it cost people tons of money. And then what now a business that may have just been getting by now has to hire an additional employee so they can do uh, the tracking and tracing and the computer processing and all the stuff that goes that that's involved with that. I mean, Again, anything that anytime another person or organization that's not even from this that has very little information on how these things operate goes and tries to push legislation that's going to have a negative impact on 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 the livelihoods of the American farmer, I'm totally against it. Yeah, your uh, your answer like hit me right in my libertarian heart, and I agree a hundred percent with basically everything you said. So, um, yeah. I, I couldn't have put it better myself. I, I it would be conservative though. It would be conservative because if when when we're talking about the meaning of words, liberal means more. Like a liberal helping of sauce, a liberal helping of law, a liberal helping of legislate of legislation. I want conservative. I want less. I want less of all of those things. So I'm pr- I'm really really conservative when it comes to those things because, you know. If you look at, you know, the amount of, um, uh, you know, things that a business has to go through, it's so hard. As a, it can be so hard. And it's like one of the reasons I think why these super corporations are, are you know, do, they, they do so well. It's so hard to compete. It's so hard to compete with the logistics. It's hard to compete yeah. with, with the accounting and taxes and all that stuff because they have – it's just more less less is more for small business yeah a hundred percent and uh small business is the backbone of our economy um it seems like our state and federal legislators just want to make it harder uh for small and medium-sized business yeah. rather than uh easier and big corporations are the ones that win in the end and it seems like they're the ones who are writing these you know um, it is recreational use laws. I, you know, they, they don't teach civics in schools and I didn't know about any of, I didn't know why they even called it lobbying. It's because at, if you go to the house of representatives, like right down here in Oklahoma, uh, they'll sit in the lobbies of the representatives for each district and they'll say, Hey, this is what we want. This is what we want. And they'll bug these people. And that they let the representatives don't really even know better. They just assume that, Hey, you know, this is what the people want because this is the only representation that we're getting. It's it's our it's our kind of own faults if we're not active and we don't like go there and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what our businesses want. I mean, that's why we started the Craft Farmers Alliance here. We do meetings uh, at the Bokashi Earthworks office. It's for people that I work with and like-minded and individuals where we collectively come together and say, Hey, look, if we need to put money together to stop a law from being passed, because it's going to affect negatively affect people's businesses, then we can collectively do that. Or if we all need to go down there to the Capitol and sit and talk to these people, we can collectively do that. Um, It's just about being involved. And I wish I could be more involved because I try to do what I can, but it's like, that's why they have, that's why they have lobby and they pay these people because they can go and just just do that because it's almost full time to do this to go and talk to all these people and it takes a, lo- a massive amount of time and i think that that's why most of us aren't able to do it is because everybody's working a nine to five and they're getting their they're hustling and stuff and so all that government stuff falls on the wayside but it's only the active participation in that where, where the people take back power right because we are the government essentially and every time because i had this attitude like fuck the government fuck the government i have an anarchy time sign tattooed on my life and i realize now now i'm a little bit older i'm just i was just saying basically fuck myself because each and every one of us has a voice and we have the right to assemble and we can do these things we can all collectively come together and say hey this like let's talk about what we want 
let's talk about how these people are going to negatively affect our community. And then let's see if, and then let's stand up. Let's collectively be heard. It's, it just takes action and it takes more of us. It takes, you know, there's strength in numbers when it comes to this government stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can send uh, all the emails we want to our representatives, but unless people are getting in their faces, no, 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 that works too. Are they really hearing the emails? No, that works too. Emails, phone calls, showing up in person, all of those things collectively do work. Yeah, it's just a matter of like how many, I mean, how many people know who their local representatives are? Like who's the representative for Oklahoma City? You know, who are they? Who are the representatives for Shawnee? Who, you know, that's the whole thing is you just need to know who they are. And then if you know who they are, their website has all their numbers, their emails, just call them. Say, hey, I don't like what's going on. Tell your friends. I mean, I have, there has been several times when I have posted online the representatives, their contact information and people calling, even people from out of state were calling and it helped and it it killed bills, you know? Nice. Hey, I like to hear that. Um, Brandon, that was basically all the questions that I had for you today. Um, I learned a ton about your operation, organic chem, uh, the Oklahoma market, uh, remind people again, how they can get in touch with you. Yeah. So if you look at the bottom left on the screen at rust.brandon, that is my IG. You can reach out there or you can go to Bokashi Earthworks, B-O-K-A-S-H-I Earthworks, all one word um, on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, There's also the website, which is www.bokashieearthworks.com. Um, we'll be back in everything will be backlisted. We're working on all of our labels and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, if you guys are interested in soils, consulting services, uh, SOP packages, we have everything you guys need, uh, when it comes to, you know, soil, nutrition, integrated pest management, microbes, fertilizers, I offer everything. Yeah, the the 360 uh, service is is what people are looking for these days. And if people, you know, question his, you know, results, check out some of the people who are tagging him in their grows. They're doing awesome work. So, yeah, um, a lot of those people are using the uh, smart pots as well. So people like 4-H Farms and Ada, All-American Organics, um, I believe uh, Red Dirt Raced, Um, man, there's. I'm missing a lot of people. There's a, so many people. Uh, Banana Seed Botanicals, um, friggin' Territory. Uh, man, there's a lot. I can't even <laughs> think of them all off the top of my head. There's so many. Nice. Uh, well, on that note, Brandon, it was really great talking with you. Uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on The Growing Revolution. I'll talk to you guys soon, and I uh, hope to do it again soon sometime. Thank you so much.